Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never been heard before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about. So you can create the life that you really want, but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And I am so excited for today's conversation. This is going to be really exciting. But before we go there, of course, well, today, I'll just give you a little preview. We're going to talk about, we're going to be talking about the Hallmark Channel and romance. And if you'd like, well, you get to decide if this has a happy ending, you can read my first book, The Second Piece of French Toast, available on Amazon. If you don't think you speak up and you don't think you have the life you really want, but are afraid you can't have it, get my second book, Real Talk, and let's get talking. Let's get you free and real. And then this one, if you've ever felt bad about your life and felt bad about feeling bad, this is called Your Bullshit is Your Blessing, How to Stop Fixing Yourself and Start Having Fun. This is probably my favorite because it's the newest. And I'll tell you what, some great techniques to start having more fun. You can even have fun with complaining. What do you think about that? So that's my little promo. I am thrilled before we're gonna uh, actually introduce David Winning, um, who's got 46 features and 29 series, over 180 TV credits. Um, David Winning, let's see, I'll just read a sentence. David Winning is a US Canada dual citizen and veteran film and television director and producer. Now. Before we talk to him, we're going to show you a very special clip of just from the last four years, believe it or not. This guy's got so many credits, it runs like about 25 pages. But let's roll the clip and then we'll introduce David. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, light her up. Guess it's on. I think we're ready. You thinking what I'm thinking? Scary, isn't it? Let's do it! Tell us what you saw, man. He's blind. Oh. Sorry, dude! All right, come on in. You are going to explain yourselves or die trying. Might as well start with you. You know, your sister really used to double up on showers back at the hospital. Mm. Save water and whatnot. Yeah, you wish on a man. <laughs> Gonna do. Okay. I'm right here. Okay, don't poke the bear. You guys better move back. This part could get a bit messy. <laughs> this, this is the messy part. Take me home. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> I want to keep watching. Ooh, okay, well, we're going to see the rest later. I want to welcome David Winning. He is a director, not a producer. Well, both. But anyway, we're going to go into all that later. Welcome, David. Hello, Hillary. How are you? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. This is so cool. I'm like, wow. So, okay. So it makes we me, have so much. Makes me tired watching that, all that stuff. It's my life passing before my eyes. How are you? I, I picture you in the director's chair, but I can't imagine all those bodies flying around and all that. I guess that's what you sit there watching? Or is yeah. that effects? I, uh, oh, it's a kind of a mix of both. There's some very talented people doing some stunt work and also some, some visual effects. I've had a very, I've been, I've been a director for coming up 40 years now, and I've had a pretty varied career, which has been great. Uh, you mentioned Hallmark Channel. I've, I've lately been doing a lot of movies for Hallmark Channel and Lifetime and others. So uh, that, that clip, of course, is action-packed. You kind of get a bit of everything in a career, which is fun. Yes, and I can't wait to see the rest. Okay, which we will see later. All right, so you, I know you started young. You were born in Calgary, and you grew up there, and you started filming in your backyard. So let's talk to, I know you want to inspire all the other people. I'm, st I'm stealing your thunder, but all for all these people who want to do what you do, like you really did it. You know, you didn't just say you wanted to do it. You did it. What, what can you tell us about that? Come on. Well, I, I mean, I have the corny story. When I was 10 years old, my dad, uh, through some brilliance, I guess, decided to give me a movie camera for my 10th birthday. So I woke up to that and I started making films with that all through, you know, junior high school and high school in my backyard with my friends and it basically became my hobby, making movies. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could find a way to turn the hobby into a career so I didn't have to have the normal nine to five life and actually make movies, which I love to do. And so I just kind of stuck with it. Um, I was gonna go to film school in my twenties and uh, I'd, I'd raised a whole bunch of money. I was working as a waiter and a bouncer and all sorts of awful <laughs> jobs. And I, I had raised enough money and I was gonna go to film school and then one day I decided I had this brainstorm. I shocked my father and I said, dad, why don't we take all this money, go out and buy film stock and make our own movie, make my own movie. And so through my twenties, uh, I spent about four or five years, most of my twenties, four or five years, at least making my first feature, which was called storm. And uh, basically what I did in hindsight was I created my, my own film school which was fun because I kind of did everything. I was producing and writing and directing and uh, I was even in it. I had a small part in it. And that kind of <clears throat> launched me into uh, the film business. So I, I tried, I, I did the, I did a straight route. I thought, I'll just teach myself this stuff. But- um, All right, All right wait, I, I have three, I have three oh, questions. Good, good, good. Did, Go. did, did you want to, did, did your father just happen to buy you the camera or had you said you wanted one? I may have hinted, I may have hinted. Okay. That I I was I was really into photography when I was really young, eight and nine, and and uh, then I discovered movies, and I thought, gee, that'd be cool too. So, um, yeah, I may have hinted, but uh, okay, uh, okay, so it wasn't like, totally like, out of the blue. I like to think okay. he was prescient because he knew what was going to happen, but uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, it gave me the gave me the first tool to kind of ex express myself and artistic or whatever ways when you're a kid and tell stories, yeah. and uh, that just kind of one thing led to another. Wow. Okay, and then. So, so you talked about turning your hobby into a career, and I think people would love to do that. But obviously, or not obviously, but you said, you know, you were a waiter and a bouncer. So it wasn't like you didn't have to do something else to make some money first. You know, you, you were a little practical 
I mean, I, I'm just saying this for some people, I won't say who, but that don't think they have to like make some money to pay the bills first. But, you know, you you had that and you had this at the same time. Yeah. Did you say I mean, that I, was... I, I, had nor- I had normal jobs too. I just didn't like them very much. And I thought, I got to get out of this. I got to find... And it was like, I thought if I make this first film and it's terrible, then there's my life. I'm working in a bookstore. Yeah. Or I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever my... My parents yeah. were pushing me toward when I was a kid, but uh, mm-hmm. the experiment worked, which was great. And uh, the film worked and it sold. And I thought, oh, geez. So, okay, wait, 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 wait. So how, I know, I have a lot of questions. No, it's good. It's all good. So when you said you, you know, you, you had your own school, like you learned it yourself. How? Like how, I mean, now you can do a, you, you can watch a YouTube, but, but back then there was no YouTube. There was no computer. How did you figure it all out yourself? I I was a sort of a big fan and student of all sorts of making of movies when I was a kid. Uh, there was a great uh, film that was made by the National Film Board in Canada in the in the 70s about Norman Jewison directing uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And those kind of movies okay. I just watched over and over and over again. And I just kind of, this is in, way before the days of YouTube when you had to try to dig around and find out, you know, how to how to make movies. But uh, really trial and error. I mean, I spent, I spent, you know, hundreds of miles of film shooting uh, all this stuff when I was a kid, trying stuff and playing around. And that's that's where you learn to make mistakes. And like I said, if if Storm had not worked, it was it was a grand experiment for me. I thought if it if it doesn't work, uh, then, you know, there you go. There's your answer. You can't make movies. Do something else. I'd spend all so my money you... to to film school now. Oh, so so you weren't going to then go to film school. That was no, it. I, that but, was my so, But you must have loved like the learning and the discovery and the investigating, right? That was fun for you, obviously. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid doing a lot of reverse engineering about movies. I loved movies. I wanted to know how they were made. So I would watch them just constantly when I was a kid and try to figure out how they, you know, how they did certain shots or angles. And I think, and I, and I grew up kind of a child of uh, early seventies television, I'll say late sixties television. I'm thinking about the reruns, but I was a big fan of the original Star Trek series, which is corny. I know, but uh, that's kind of what I grew up on. And that series, watching that series. Do you do the, how do you do it? Turn, turn me on to how to, uh, I'm so glad I was able to do that. Imagine if I was. And I'm like, uh, obviously you had practice. Okay, good. Right. Both hands. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Definite, definite nerd here. Uh, but no, I was a big Star Trek fan and, and I joke, you know, people tease me about the original series, but the original series taught me how to make movies when I was a kid. I just, I just analyzed it to, to, just to pieces and broke it all down. And, and I think that's kind of how I figured out how to make movies, but the most inspiring thing for me, and I think, you know, we're going to talk about this eventually too, uh, Hillary is that if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I was literally in this backyard I'm looking out at here in, in Calgary. I was, I had no connections I was as far from Hollywood as you could be. And I didn't even have in my mind how I was going to make one feature film, let alone, I just finished, I just wrapped my 46th feature and uh, it's a long career. I'm tired, but um, you know, I, I, you, you want, like I say, one thing leads to another. And uh, if you just keep, if you have a dream and you think whatever people want to do, it's something, I mean, you want to write books or paint or dance or do whatever. I think the inspiration in life is to try to, find a way to do that and not give up. I always am sad when I hear people say, oh, well, I had a dream of doing, you know, blank and I just, I couldn't do it. You know, obviously I had a lot of breaks in life. I think I was very fortunate to have the parents that I had. Um, and 
you know, I was, I had a great upbringing and it was very open and freeing about, you know, do what you want to do, express yourself. And um, that, that counts for so much when you have nothing and you're thinking, how do I get to Hollywood? You know, I'm in Calgary, but. Uh, but don't you think, I mean, I'm just struck by your curiosity and your, you know, someone else could take a camera and shoot something and it's like, yeah, whatever. But you were like studying it. You were fascinated with it. You had that love and, you know, yeah, I just, but, like how much of that do you think factored in? I mean, I, I mean, I think it was all it's 100 percent of what it was. I, I was yeah. I, loved, I loved movies so much and I thought they were so cool. I thought, who makes these things? You know, how do they make these? I'd love to make one. And that's that's me at 10 and 11 years old. I just, uh, um, you know, and, and I've run into people my whole life. And I'm sure you have, too, who never really knew what they wanted to do. But I always knew what I'd love to do. I didn't know if it was possible. So, you know. Right. All right. So you did. So you made how many years did it take you to do Storm again? Storm was about four or five years. We started shooting in 40 years ago in the summer, 1983. And it was finished in uh, 86, 87. It was released in theaters eventually but that's a long road that's sped through quite quickly but and it was what, one of those so, projects so okay so so you finished it four to five years now you have this movie yep. what did you do with it i just got a lot of rejections a lot of doors slammed in my face like no we're did not you, no I, I have i have a file in the basement with about 170 rejection letters which i think is also part of the whole learning process because when you're young and naive you just think, well, eventually people are going to love this movie. So I'm just going to keep, you know, knocking on doors and making phone calls. And eventually it was picked up by a distributor in Vancouver, Canada, who took it to uh, one of the festivals over in Europe, not Cannes. That was called MIFED. I think it was in Italy in, in the mid 80s. And they ended up loving it. And they it was it was a Canon War, uh, Canon. The Canon Group, the company that, that originally put out all the Chuck Norris movies and Sylvester Stallone movies, they uh, they took it and they released it. And the the fun thing for me was when they found out it was it was only uh, seventy eight minutes long. The deal closed. They said, "No, we're not going to we're not going to pay for this." And then I, I quickly, in my bravado of twenty six or twenty seven, I said, "Well, why don't you advance me some of the money and I'll go reshoot. I'll get all the people back together and we'll reshoot more of the movie and we'll make a longer movie." which is exactly what we did in uh, 1987. So we added about 20 minutes to the movie just, just to get it in theaters. Wow. So, okay, so 170 rejection letters. Someone in Vancouver takes it to Italy. Someone likes it. And, and, and that's how it works. And then, and then they put it, and then you add the 20 minutes, and then you're in theaters? That's what happened because they, they had the original deal and it, it got released in theaters in uh, in the states. You know, I mean, it, it's it's not a it's not a blockbuster movie. People, there's no stars in it, so it, it lasted a week or two and then it was pulled and replaced with something else. But it got me in the door and it got me kind of a it got me into the Directors Guild in Canada, which is great. So I got myself in a little booklet people flip through and and that's how I ended up progressing from Storm. Is that uh, there was a TV series shooting in Toronto called uh, Friday the Thirteenth based on the movies, but it was a syndicated series that oh. Paramount was producing and some director was unavailable for some things. So I've told the stories a million times, but the guy flipped through the book and he said, winning sounds positive, hire this guy. So I literally got my first job because of my name, which is really my name, Scottish name, good, a good Scottish name. Wow. So, so they just called you out of the blue and like, Hey, out can you blue, come direct this? Out of the blue flew me to Toronto and they said, how old are you? And I was 26. And they said, I said, uh, 35. 
and uh, and then uh, I ended up directing three episodes of the series, which all got nominated for the Canadian version of the Emmy, which was quite a shock for me because uh, I had been given. When you start out directing, they kind of give you the worst scripts because they think, ah, oh, this is this. We've never heard of the director. This is going to be terrible. Here, yeah. do this script about killer bees. And, you know, I was so gung-ho, I made it like the best episode of the series I could possibly make. And I'm still proud of the episode. So that's kind of how you, because you're, you're trying so hard to make a mark, you know. So you, you have to make everything an epic and you have to make everything uh, stand out if you can. So so were you like nervous? Did you just get in that chair? <laughs> get in that chair and go, never worked with I've never worked with a crew of people more than like 15 people. And I showed up on this set and there was like a hundred people in the crew and they, and I, you know, they're all staring at me like, who's this kid? And it's like, where do you, where do you want to put the camera? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I, I learned a lot on that series. I was I literally, I was 26, 27 and uh, it was ordeal by fire, but. Uh, but were they nice at least? Oh, of course. Did sure. they, they were, help you? They're all Canadian, Hillary. We're all nice. <laughs> Reporting nice. Nice. Um, no, it was it was it was a great experience. Um, David Cronenberg yeah. directed on this series originally, and uh, uh, a lot of people that I ended up working with on other shows. So it was it was a good experience for me. So then, yeah. from there, so Friday the Thirteenth. Wow. So then, and then what? So how did you get your next one? Uh, one thing leads to another. You just you use you use the past show to get the next show. So uh, I started working for on a police series in Vancouver called. Street Justice with Carl Weathers that was being produced by um, the Cannell, Stephen J. Cannell Productions in Vancouver. And that was that was my second gig. And then, you know, literally just jobs started coming. And the whole time I was trying to get my own because I really wanted to make features still. And I was trying to get my second feature off the ground, which is called Killer Image. And I spent four years after Storm trying to raise the funding. And the biggest lesson I learned in the film business is the only thing that matters in the movies is who's in the movies. You know, nobody would see Indiana Jones if there was no Harrison Ford. It's just life. So I spent four years trying to raise money uh, for this movie. And someone said to me in 1990, have you shown it to Michael Ironside? Who's the Canadian character actor that people know from Total Recall and uh, mm. uh, a bunch of other movies. And I said no. And he read it. And three weeks later, we were shooting because he liked it. And as soon as a star of any caliber is, is interested in something you're doing, you'd be amazed how fast the gas pedal gets pressed. So uh, there I was off making my second film in uh, 1990. And how easy was it to get him to read it? Like, did someone know him and well, just the, say, the, the, "Hey, the, the friend, the, the friend that it was a friend of his that asked me if he wanted, if oh. he wanted to look at it." So it was it was streamlined. I think he read it that night. And so wow. I learned really early on: if you want to make movies, you have to kind of attach stars because nobody on earth is going to go see a movie because I directed it. They're going to go see it because Tom Cruise or uh, you know. Harrison Ford or whoever, whatever younger reference I can't think of right now is in the movie. Um, that's that's what runs the film business. It's kind of obvious. I mean, why would you want, you know, people go to see movies because they like the stars. Hmm. Hmm. So, so if a star likes it and they want to be in it, like they want to be in it, that's, that's why they would like it. They would see themselves in it. Then yeah. you can, wow. So is that how all of them? I mean, obviously you have what forty six or twenty. Forty six. Yeah, I've done forty six. I've done forty six movies. Twenty six of them have been for Hallmark or Lifetime Christmas movies or romance movies or rom coms as they call them, and then twenty other movies that are all sorts of things. I've done all sorts of like monster movies and sci fi and 
you name it, I've kind of done every genre, which is great. But, you know, my whole philosophy is that everything is entertainment. It's all entertainment. I mean, it's a scary movie. It's an entertainment. If it's a Christmas, beautiful, you know, family love story at Christmas that the family's going to sit around and watch, then that's entertainment too. It's just, you have to find a way when you're telling stories to hook people into it and find a way to get them, uh, find a way to make it personal for them. So one of my challenges was when I started working for doing the Christmas movies, I used to get quite teased about it because I would, I'm the Grinch, right? I'm like the last person you want to direct, get to direct a Christmas movie. But to me, the challenge was to make it different because all I heard was all oh, these movies are so predictable, but mine aren't, I guarantee you mine aren't. I try to make them as original as possible because I think that's what people love to watch. They want to be surprised by something. And did, but you didn't write them, did you? Or no, I, I don't. I don't write them. I have written. I have written some some films, and I've and I've doctored some things and added. But uh, it's it's not just about the writing. It's about the tone that you try to set and the the flavor and the humor level and and things. And we, when you're directing, it took me a long time to realize this too. But when you're directing, you can offer changes and suggestions. And if the writers and the producers like them, then usually as long as it doesn't cost them a dollar more, then they're fine with changes. So. I learned that I could try to make anything I work on better, which is the whole point. I mean, I think when you're a director or a producer or anything, you're always trying to elevate the material to make it more, more fun, more exciting, more entertaining. And how did you know how to do that? Or is that something you learned over time? I mean, you know, uh, it's easy think, to do a boring thing. Yeah, I think, I think it's, all, it's all about taste really. I'm, I, I, I've always said I have an attention deficit, so I'm, I'm like the best audience to show something to. If something bores me right away, I'm like, oh, this, this has to move faster. We have to do something. I'm all about, I, I love to, as people know who work with me, I'm all about moving cameras and steady cams and trying to keep things as busy and visually active because it's motion pictures after all. But um, right. okay. I, I think what it comes down to is the taste of the director and the writers and the creators. If you have good taste, which I like to think I have, um, nice. you know, you can, you can fix something and you can adjust something and change it and make it more more and more appealing, which is the whole point. And how much say do you do you sh like pick the locations? Does someone else do that? Like how much say does the director have in the movie? No, I I pick all the locations. Um, you do okay. There's a, there's a location manager. They take you out and you go out with your camera guy and your people and your producers and you look at a ton of different locations. I've seen many 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 locations over and sometimes over and over again in the same places. But uh, that's uh, definitely something that I do because I have to figure out how to choreograph the action within whatever the setting is, you know, this, the script is written, but what the script says is, you know, interior church, four people come in and they start talking. It doesn't tell you <laughs> where they stand or where they move or how they interact or what the church has to look like or how it's lit or what the music is going to be, you know, put in later. I mean, I'm involved in all of those, all of those steps. In fact, I just finished the uh, director's cut on my latest film uh, actually today, midnight last night. So we got a new movie coming out that's uh, that we're excited about. And, I'm fine cutting it all the way along and I'm working with the editors and then the producers start to look at it this week and then we interact and I go to the sound mix and I help, you know, adjust the music and everything. So directors are kind of with the, with the whole project all the way along. Wow. If you want to be. So, what? If yeah. So let's say, so, so let's say you, yeah. So let's say you have the scene four people in a church. Like, do you just know this is where they should be or do you have to try like, a lot of different places and see which scene you like like how guess, does that work i guess i guess it's instinct you know you think when you're directing and uh, it's it's kind of it feels like second nature to me now but i mean i think very abstractly about uh, 
drama and and entertainment and scares and things. And I and when I'm when I have a scene presented to me, I I usually have a pretty good idea. I mean, I do a lot of perusing and thinking about stuff before before I ever get on set with the actors. So by the time I get there, I usually have a pretty strong idea about what I think would be the best way to handle it. But you know, as a director, you also have to be very open to because actors have an opinion. And actors very often, won't tell you how often, come up with better ideas than I have. Mm. And you'd be an idiot to not take good ideas from anywhere. Right. I mean, right. I think everybody's trying to make the best product and it's still going to say directed by me. So, you know, I, I've got to take <laughs> credit. But I, I think it's, to answer your question, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, it's a lot of abstract thinking about people yeah. and, and space and how people interact and what's the most dramatic way to present a storyline that's my job is to read the scene which is basically just words and the characters and then try to figure out what's the best way to bring this to life and do you like let's say somebody has an idea and you say oh that's a good idea is it always actually a good idea or do sometimes it doesn't work and you have to redo it like because it's not like math two plus two equals four this is like creative and taste and you know, I, like, I, think, do you... I mean, a lot of it comes just from years of experience. You've done it wrong a few times. And so you kind of know shorthand on what you like. And I, I may not be a great director. I think I think I'm a great director, but that's me. Right. So when I look at my stuff, of course, it's going to look good to me because that's what I planned. And it's pretty close to my yes. to my plan. But, um, you know, okay. it'll be years after I'm dead, if people are going to say anything about how good I am, but uh, or even if there's a style that I have. But I think I have a pretty good handle on best way to shoot things but i mean you know a hundred directors are going to direct a hundred movies a hundred different ways right but it's so i mean experience at this point when when you were just starting out you were just experimenting right i mean you didn't on, know on, on other people's dimes which is great yeah. <laughs> i mean i kind of learned as i went but to be honest i'm st still really proud of early episodes of tv i did 30 years ago i mean i think i had a oh. kind of Maybe I may have been better when I was younger than I am now. I don't know. But um, I, and I put a lot of this stuff on my website, as I was mentioning to you during during COVID, I had a little project that I was just going to update my very old website. So I put up, you know, a whole bunch of articles and backstory so people can find out more than they ever want to know about me and how I started. <laughs> and, and hopefully the, the point was that it would inspire people to think that they can do it. Because I, like I said, if I can do it, you can do it. If you want right. to do it. Anybody wants to make movies, right. anybody wants to do anything. You just have to try. Yeah. All right, good. All right. So we're going to take our little halftime break and then we're going to see the rest of your reel. And then I have some more questions. What a surprise. Cool. And we're going to talk about more. I mean, this is cool. This okay. is cool. Okay. Very good. <laughs> Has social-emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Kikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori. K-I-K-O-R-I. Do you ever feel like you can't say what you really want to say? Or that you're stuck or in a holding pattern in your relationships, career, personal life, or finances? Are there things you want in life that you've given up on? 
Are you resigned that this is as good as it's going to get? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Hillary Burns, host of the Getting Real with Hillary show, has the solution you need. Hillary is a published author of three books and has a program called The Getting Real Process. This process frees you from what is holding you back, allowing you to create a life you love. Don't believe it? It is hard to believe that it could work, isn't it? The proof is that hundreds of Hillary's clients have used the Getting Real process and are now free to create whatever they want in relationships, career, finances, enjoying life, or just loving themselves more. So go to realtalkwithhillary.com and order Hillary's book, Real Talk, instead of a conversation. Welcome back to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And thank you to KikoriApp.com, our sponsor. Um, if you want to bring social emotional learning uh, to your schools, please go to KikoriApp.com slash bring Kikori. Your kids will be more connected, more socially ready to whatever than you've ever thought. And especially after COVID, this is sorely needed. So again, kikoriapp.com slash bring Kikori. If you don't think you're free to speak up, again, Real Talk, and go to realtalkwithhillary.com and take the Real Talk quiz. And now we are back with David Winning, and Uh we're going to watch the rest. uh Uh-oh, yeah, we're going to watch the rest of his, what do we call it, a reel? It's a director's reel. You know, this is kind of what I send out to people when I'm trying to get jobs. So people send out resumes. Mine happens to be video. So okay. this, is, I think this is the other half of it. God damn, apocalypse. Does anyone have a plan? Actually, I do. Get ready for the wildlife. Awesome! Do I look like a superhero? You look like a pervert. Super pervert. Nothing wrong with being sentimental. Hmm. This wasn't totally awful. No. It wasn't. Is a burning thing. Wow. This is just amazing. Cheers to that. Cheers. So what, you fell. Get back up and try it again. No matter what happens, this is how I want to remember my time here in Hopedale. I'm crazy about you. I belong here. Are you sure? You know this is wrong. You know that in your heart. Daddy. Welcome home, son. God bless you crazy no honey it's bliss it's time andromeda go all right let's gear up you know the obsession for revenge it can destroy you. 
Really, eat you alive. Well, how does that make you feel to watch that? Tired, really. Tired. <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's funny, uh, Hillary. Is directors always get all the attention and all the hype and everything, but I've had so much help from like thousands of actors and technicians and camera people and stuff, and they just make you look good. But I mean, it's not it's not a one. I'm I'm the figurehead, but it's not just me making all these movies. It's just so many people I've been really fortunate to work with over the years. And uh, when I see that, I think. I think back of all the people that I work with and all of the you know, mm. opportunities that I've had, and it's been, I've been really lucky. Wow. It, I mean, it's hard to imagine. I'm, I'm, you know, you think of a director in his chair, right? And then you see these crazy scenes and it seems like, you know, you're in the middle of a forest or a jungle or whatever. Like, are you actually sitting there or is that all effects? Well, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually there. And I'm usually not sitting in a chair. I'm usually sitting in a log or in a pile of leaves or something or in, or in the back of some garbage truck or something. I've been in all sorts of strange places. I've been able to shoot kind of all over the world too. I did a series in Budapest for ABC called Dinotopia, which was a ton of fun working with a completely non-speaking non-English speaking um, Hungarian crew, which was just a riot. And I did a movie in a 650 year old Scottish castle with uh, Jason Connery, Sean Connery's son. Um, wow. and, you know, one of the Merlin movies back then. And so, yeah, I've had great opportunities to travel all over the world and meet lots of different folks, but uh, no, most of it seems real. I wish, I wish sometimes you wish it wasn't, but it's real. It's real. The real deal. We're in the middle of all the gun battles and stuff. Wow. And was it fun for you? Was it hard work? Like, would you do it all again? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's a loaded question. I mean, it is. It's a. It's a lot. It is a lot of work. It's. A, it's, a, it's. I'm not going to lie. It's not an easy. It's not an easy career. But if you have that spark that you had when you were ten, that gets you a long way. And uh, I always think, you know, as corny as it may sound, I'm really lucky to be to have this job and to to have been able to survive in it for. 30, 40 years, just because it is, it is a hard business. A lot of people fall away. A lot of people that I started out with kind of gave in, gave up and, you know, they're doing something else because it was just, it's very, it's very long hours. Um, you know, people work 16, 17 hour days sometimes and ridiculous long shows and a lot of night shoots And my, my vampire series that I did for sci-fi channel, Van Helsing was shooting almost exclusively nights in the beginning, which is very, very hard on the system, but you're also in a, you're also in the fantasy business, you know, you're making, you're making something that's hopefully going to entertain people. And that's, that's tons of fun. I mean, if I ever go on a set or I'm not thrilled to meet an actor, I'm just going to quit because I you have to be that kid. You know, you have to kind of, you still have to be inspired every day to go to work and, and do this because it's not easy, but, um, and yet kind of, it kind of is easy because I love it. You know? <laughs> but the, the problem, the problem you mentioned earlier about people wanting to make their hobbies into careers, there's only one problem with that. And that is that if you're successful, you don't have any hobby. Because my hobby is my work. I don't really have a hobby. Like people say, what do you do? I say, well, I make movies like 24 seven. That's kind of what I do. I loved movies when I was a kid and I've spent my life making them. And now it's like, you know, I kind of ruined movies for myself because when you make movies your whole life, you just don't see them the same way. You know, you, you kind mm. of know 
I mean, I, it's it takes a really good movie to for me to be completely drawn into it and emotionally connected because I'm just so aware of everything now. You're kind of hyper aware, but um, that's the challenge to find movies that make me forget that I make them. Mm. And what do you think kept you going when other people quit? What do you think it was? Um, I um, I don't know. I guess I just didn't, I didn't want to give up. I never wanted to be a quitter. I always wanted to be successful. I mean, I wanted, I haven't done it yet. I have, I want to win an Oscar and I haven't done that yet. So I'm hoping to one day have an Oscar on a mantle here and go, see, I got an Oscar, but uh, uh, my time's running out, you know, so I'm. Let's uh, get you an Oscar. Come on. <laughs> well, it's all about the material. What do we have to do? What do we have yeah, to do my, to get I you still have, I still have a goal though. Yeah. I always have to have goals, but I think that's right. how you, that's how I, you know, I wanted to make my first feature. I wanted to make a feature film when I was 20. That was my goal. And I did that. And then, and then I ended up making 40 more of them. But, uh, you know, it took it took, took decades. But, yeah, I think it's it's a the fun thing. I think one of the fun things about the entertainment business is if you love it, it keeps you young, too. Because mm. you're just playing. It's like a, it's like a makeup life. You know, you're you're playing. You're 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 in all sorts of different situations and all sorts of different dramas and excitements and cliffhangers every every time you go out. Wow. So, so if I was a young person, I'm not, but if I was, and if that was my dream or goal, what would you advise? I mean, well, are I there, think, some, I think, and are there, yeah. Like, are there some, you know, some people want to sing, you know, you hear them on karaoke. It's like, okay, no, that's not yeah, good. Pick a different career. Get the, whatever, get the hook. As a, yeah. as a singer, you're a good doctor. So, so, I mean, how do they know whether they actually have it? What, when do they give up? Like, you know, I'm assuming not everybody has a gift. Like, how do they separate that? How do you know? Like, when to keep I going? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't like to think that not everybody has a gift. I think anybody, I think everybody, I have, I'm very naive when it comes to this. I think everybody can do everything if they work at it hard enough. Okay. I, I, this is something I've always believed. I mean, if you really want to be a singer, then you just you train to sing and you learn from the best. And you just spend your whole life having people say, "Boy, you are you're terrible," uh, and you just get all the doors slammed in your face until there's no more doors to slam. Because that's kind of what happened to me. I mean, if you look at my career now, you think, "Oh, it was all mapped out." It was never mapped out. It was just I, I told you earlier. I, I I was a yes man. I I just said yes to everything. Any any opportunity that came up to me when I was starting, I thought. You know, I mean, even the Christmas movies, they said, do you want to make a Christmas movie? I don't, I don't, I don't want to make a Christmas movie. But then the challenge was make a great Christmas movie, which I think I did. And I and I've made a whole bunch of them that I'm really proud of, including two that are coming out this year. Well, one, one's not a Christmas movie, but we've got a new we've got a bunch of new movies coming out this year that I'm still proud of. I'm still excited and jazzed by it because every time out, you have to make you have to make something the best you can. I've never kind of sat back and thought oh you know i'll just kind of phone this one in i just it's not my nature i don't know if it's canadian or what it is but i mean we just keep chugging along because i want the oscar that's what i want no kidding <laughs> would be nice but um yeah. you know i uh i know it's a, it's a fun business to be in as you can tell i don't sound really yeah I'm, I'm no sorry. so you love it all right so let's see checking the time okay so let's, let's talk about hallmark um okay. so so i so there are things that I don't always admit. I I like Barry Manilow growing up. I was an Amway distributor and I love Hallmark movies. So, so those things, you know, like well, sometimes got, you don't. I've got two them. of those. I got two of those. I never sold Amway, but I like Barry Manilow too, you know. 
catchy, beautiful music. Yes. It just wasn't cool. cool to admit it. What? I think I liked Air Supply too, but you don't admit that very often. So. Oh. And I met one of them too. It's a friend of uh, Kevin Sorbos. But uh, yeah. So sorry, what was so, the question? I don't know. But I was saying I liked Hallmark. No. So I was telling you before that I I would watch them enough in my old, when I was in my old play, it was a rental. And so the landlord, while I had the channel, I watched them and I figured out the formula and it was a great thing. You know, I was divorced. I was alone on a Saturday night. I got happy endings and they just ran into each other. And before I knew it, I was on my third and I didn't even know, but I knew how it was going to end. And I, you know, at 20 of, they were roughly 20 of, they'd have the fight two minutes of they'd kiss and then the show was over something like that. But, and it was predictable, but what you're telling me now is that you're changing the formula. And, um, and I think that's good. I mean, because enough's enough, but. I think yeah. Hallmark itself is actually changing the formula too, because everything evolves and they've, they've started doing a lot more humor and a lot more, uh, uh, you know, bigger stories about all sorts of, of people in the world and all sorts of different lifestyles and, and, uh, and stories because everybody has a story to tell. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being predictable in a sense. One of the, I mean, 85 million people watched these movies last year. Wow. And, and, and as you said, it's it's a it's a it's a secret. It's a secret. People don't say, "Oh, I watched the Hallmark movie." A lot of people don't talk about watching these kind of movies. But there is what I call safe harbor. I mean, I've always thought Hallmark was like a safe harbor place. You know how the movies are going to end. You kind of know how it's going to happen. But I still like to throw in some tricks and surprises and things to get there. But it has to it has to end happy. Spoiler alert: these movies end happily. Um, because that's what they're designed to do. They're supposed to be something to take people away for two hours and forget their troubles. That's what all movies, that's what all entertainment is really about, is to try to mm. take people out of their lives and just, you know, get a breather and get some uh, get some uh, sanctuary from uh, paying the bills and whatever hardships people are facing. Yeah. Now, how do you, um, this is out of the blue, but like, I like to read books for that reason. It I love stories. I love to see, you know, I mean, I've written some, they're not fiction, but, but mm-hmm. I love to see where the characters, I just love it. I love getting lost in a book. How do you, would you, are you a reader? Do you, would you compare books to movies or, I'm a, or no? <laughs> I have a friend who was overhearing a conversation in a restaurant and somebody said to somebody else, you know, movies are the new literature. And, and my friend was so offended by this because books are books. They're, they're completely different things, but uh, source material, you know, book, books are amazing. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't really a reader much when I was growing up. I did read. I was a big, but I was more into like comic books because I liked the pictures. And and I think that kind of what led into, you know, storyboarding and and making mm. little cartoons and creating movies. So I was a bit more, I think, a bit more visual. But uh, I, I think anything that anything that can ease somebody's mind and relax them is wonderful. You know, however people get their escapism. But it is stories, right? I mean, stories are the thing. Yeah. You got to tell the story. Yeah. There has to be a story there and there has to be some way that you tell it or something in the writing that pulls people in and makes them feel like it's part of their life. Like I could be this person or all this reminded me of some situation in my life. I wonder how they're going to resolve the same problem or something, you know? And so there's a, there's a commonality to that kind of thing. But uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the, 
good old fashioned family movie to watch at Christmas or any other time of the year. I mean, these with any luck, these movies are going to outlive me. And if if I if if one of the whatever amount of movies I've done lives on and people watch it and get something out of it years after I'm gone, then that's kind of the the point. You want to make a movie that outlives you, that uh, still mm. reaches people. And and what's the secret to pulling them in, having them see themselves? Is that how you do it? I think that's the way. It, I can't tell you all my secrets, but I think I think that's the way that Just don't, I won't tell anyone. <laughs> well, I'm, my, my my main thing is is the visual movement of stuff. I like to pull people into stories with movement. I like to kind of drag them into locations and go with them. So you're almost a witness. It becomes almost a documentary and you're pulling people along so that they feel like they're actually getting involved in a story. And that comes back to how you choreograph drama and action. It's mm. just, and I'm not sure exactly how I do it. I've been asked to teach and I'm not sure I know how to teach it because it's just something, I mean, imagine this 10 year old kid with a movie camera. That's, that's still me. That's still how I, express myself with, with stories and with people. So well, that's so cool that you've stayed young, you know, you love what you do. You, I mean, I feel like you have the ideal life. Where did the, where's my, we team? all want to be you. We yeah. all want to be you. Yeah. Well, there's, there's aspects of the job. Maybe people wouldn't like, but part of you know, I always say 10% of it is being a good visualist and a good movie maker and 90% of it is just psychology and how to deal with people in the situation. Nice. It's a very, it's a very high tense kind of environment. I mean, you're, you're trying to get a movie done and you're spending producers money, you know, the clock is ticking and you have to get a certain amount of scenes. We sometimes shoot seven or eight or 10 pages a day on these shows. I mean, they're done so quickly. A lot the, all the movies I've done the last, all the Hallmark movies are done in shot in 15 days. So you're wow. making, you're taking an entire movie and doing it in less than three weeks. So it wow. requires it requires an enormous amount of strategic planning, which is which is part of the fun too. That's the the math side of my life that I never thought I'd enjoy. But there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, planning that goes on trying to make movies and trying to make them trying to use the 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 most efficient use of time when you're making a film because you've got a hundred crew members and you've got fifteen or twenty actors and they're all there and you've got to try to figure out how to how to tell this story and how to get it shot before the rain comes down and, and how to make it make sense before the sun sets and on and on and on. But I like to, I like to always say I'm the one that eats the stress. I like to create environments where it's me that has to worry about it and everybody else is just having the best time of their life. Cause I think that's when they give you the best work. Wow. So would you say you were stressed or, but it was a good stress. Like, did you enjoy it? The you know, um, here comes the rain. Let's do this. I mean, is that fun? I, I, I love, I love the, I, I guess I do love it. I guess I kind of thrive on the stress in a lot of ways. It's it's not much fun when you're going through it, but uh, sometimes happy accidents happen when you're making a movie and you end up with stuff you just didn't expect. And it, it comes mm -hmm. about because you have, you have to force something into existence or you have to figure out a way to do something a different way than you'd planned. There's always the, there's the, I, you have to have not only plan B, but D, D yeah. And, and E and F and you know all the you have to have you have to have a, a million versions of how you're going to do something to make it work because inevitably things go wrong on film sets. Yeah, yeah. But wow. that's it becomes part of experience. It's it's gone wrong enough and you fixed it in the past, so you kind of relax because it's all going to work out. You just want people to watch the movie and enjoy it. <laughs> and obviously, it has worked out and it does get done right, even with that stuff i guess yeah. is there at some point that you know 
okay, this went wrong, boom. It's just part of the game, right? Yeah, I think it's an instinctual thing. I mean, you just know when you're in trouble. I mean, I'm a really good, I'm very good at knowing where the clock is and what minute we're on and how much time we have left. And I'm very good at kind of weighing out how much work I have left to do in a day and stuff. But it's just, I think it's just something that comes with experience. And did you ever get mad, like lose your cool? No, I'm Canadian. I'm sorry. I have no temper. I don't. I think I've raised my voice once in on set in 40 years. It's just not my style. I just don't believe in it. Seriously? When I, when I started out, I was a yeah. PA making coffee for screaming directors. And I used to think, you know, if I, if I ever do this job, I'm not going to treat people like crap. And lo and behold, I end up doing this job. So now I have to come clean and make sure that people have a good time. Wow. That sounds so much fun. Gosh, golly. All right. Well, I think we just have like one or two minutes. What do you want to leave people with? I mean, I know you want to inspire them. You want to let them know they can do it too. I just, I mean, I, I never want people to give up on dreams. I mean, I know it's corny, but I think if you had something you want to do as a little kid and you always wanted to do it, don't, don't find yourself in a position in life where you're thinking, oh, I could have done this or I, you know, I tried to do this, but I had kids and a family or something happened. There's always ways to, to create dreams and make them or, or create, make your dreams solid bring your dreams to life is something that I've always wanted to do. And I, and I, as I mentioned during COVID, I had a lot of free time in my hands. So I put my, my website to, on a huge update. It's uh, www.davidwinning.com for people who want to go visit. And uh, we put up all sorts of, like I said, articles and kind of like how I did it. And a lot of videos about the various movies that I've done. And uh, you know, it's fun. I, I hope it does inspire people because that's the point. I, I think, there's way better directors out there than me watching this right now. And they should be out there making movies. No way. No, there's not. So, yeah, uh, all right. <laughs> well, I think you're probably the most fun and you get the job done and people can count on you and you're prolific and uh, you are an inspiration, David Winning. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show and for your generosity and your authenticity and wanting to make a difference for others. Thanks, Hillary. I appreciate it. 